What's important to you? What's important to you is a podcast created by the Montgomery Hospice Center for Learning that's designed to give intriguing insight on end-of-life topics. I'm your host, Pisa Gabrihana, and on today's episode, we will be discussing ways of navigating difficult family dynamics. If you're a healthcare professional who works with patients in end-of-life, then you have inevitably come across caregiving family members who are particularly hard to work with. In today's episode, my colleague and co-host of What's Important to You, Isabel Tom, um, interviews um, one of our social workers, Lisa Frank, to find out ways in which she deals with challenging family members. This is a great interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Isabel. Can you tell us specifically, what does a social worker do? Do you who do you visit? Who do you work with? The social worker helps with how are how is everyone coping with this difficult situation of being in hospice? How's the patient handling it? How's the family handling it? Do they need help with resource information? Do they need someone to sit and listen with them as they process what's going on. So my role is a little bit different for every family depending on what's going on. I am involved with the MOLS form which is about choosing if someone would want CPR or not want CPR and making some difficult decisions about medical options at the end of life. I'm involved in those. It sounds like all these forms that are so intimidating you can help them do that so they don't have to sit there and like stare at the form and wonder, what if I make the wrong decision? Or you can walk them through it. Right. So today's topic is about dealing with difficult families, which I'm I'm really interested in. One of the unique things about hospice, as opposed to other types of healthcare, is that we work not just with the patient, but also with the family. And so it sounds like in your role especially, working with the family is kind of your thing. Like Right. I mean, we see our client as the patient and the family. Mm -hmm. Um, So how would you characterize a difficult family? Okay. Well, (laughs) I like that question because the first thing I want to say is the first thing we want to do is not think of them as a difficult family. Oh, okay. Okay. I think that's a good topic, but we have to challenge that thought in our mind and say, okay, why am I thinking they're difficult? How are they challenging me? Interesting. Okay. So I don't want to think of them as difficult. I think of them as challenging or demanding or exacting or not trusting. But difficult is writing them off in a way. Okay. So I don't think of them as difficult. I don't think we should think of them as difficult. It's all about how we think about it. Yeah, okay. I guess what are um, situations that you have found challenging? And for professionals who are out there... Maybe um, they have a family that's demanding or exacting or exhausting them of their energy. And in the back of their minds, they're thinking this is really difficult. So what would you say, where should you start as a professional? I think that it comes back to what's important to them. And I just love that question that helps guide us here at Montgomery Hospice. It's one of the questions on our forums that we have to answer for every visit. And it really helps us have a place to start. So I think we have to think about what's most important to them. Why are they being so demanding of us? Why are they calling all the time? Why are they questioning us? Why are they not following through on what we expected them to do? And we got We have to get to what's important to them, what's driving this. And so it sounds like if you ask that question, like, why, 
then you get some understanding because they probably are their feelings are probably really valid like they may be very worried or right they are you know they're scared or fearful of what's going to happen right because I think sometimes what makes a family quote-unquote difficult is that they're not following our plan of care they're not following our suggestions we come in and we have suggestions of ways that we can help and if we see for example someone's in pain but the family's not giving the pain medicine for example that could be seen as difficult so we have to get at well why are they not giving the medicine what is their barrier what is the concern and I think saying why sometimes puts people on defensive too so you have to find a different way to say it and say tell me more about about your about the medicine about your concerns about the medicine and try to find a common ground or having them explain and tell tell you more right right because sometimes you won't find a common ground right Um, and uh, you know what I think it's something that we use all the time and um yes I've learned a lot about doing that throughout other aspects of my life you know yeah you got to get to what's driving this what's most important you know and I think Dr. Coleman does a great job of doing that when we've had some difficult families difficult situations and we've had to involve Dr. Coleman to say you know we don't we're not sure what's driving this we don't you know all we know is there's barriers and we can't get past them Dr. Coleman sometimes is really great at getting to the point of okay this is what is bothering them so and listening is a key listening is key so just for everybody to um, understand Dr. Coleman is our medical director are there certain strategies that you've used aside from tell me more or trying to figure out where the person's coming from I think setting expectations is really important because sometimes people are demanding you have to set boundaries in a kind way. I'm thinking of an example of a family we had where the daughter was just calling all the time, every little thing, and and we were empathic that she was very anxious in caring for her father. It was making her very anxious. She was probably an anxious person to begin with. But when the nurse set some boundaries and said, oh, I understand your concerns are really valid. These are really important things. I want to talk about them every week. Let's just plan and we're going to talk about these things every week. And it actually helped reduce the phone calls that she understood the nurse thought her concerns were valid, but not emergencies. Okay. So setting boundaries in a kind way. I like that, though, that she knew that she would have time every week to share right i'm very right about. i'm very interested in hearing what you have to say let's talk about that when i visit help them meet their need what if they want something that's just not um it's not appropriate or it's not something that you can do mm-hmm. i think sometimes as professionals we have to let go of the outcome and understand that Maybe it's not going to go the way we think it should go. And maybe they want services that are outside of the scope of what we provide. And that's okay. What we have to do is help them figure out what do they think is the most appropriate next step. Is it, If it's not realistic, that's okay. We have to kind of let go of that outcome. Okay. That it's their family, it's their life, it's their death. We are so here. give them control, mm-hmm. but help them along. 
and give them support. Right. And so control, I think, is an important word. I think sometimes that can make people feel difficult, that they feel like they're trying to take control of the situation. And again, I think we have to step back and think about where they're coming from and, oh my gosh, what a stressful situation. And they might feel totally out of control and that they're losing control and they're going to grasp on to whatever they can control. And sometimes that can make them feel very demanding of us. Mm-hmm. But we, I think if we step back and think about where they're coming from, it gives us more empathy and then we don't get as frustrated by it. So we can have more patience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like something that probably resonates with a lot of families or a lot of people is like family drama and can you explain uh, some of the situations that we see at the end of life because I feel like one thing that sometimes people don't um, they might not know is that at the end of life it's probably the most stressful if not one of the most stressful times in people's lives so what type of situations have have you seen that's very true. And I think here at hospice, we remember that, that we're entering into their lives at a very stressful time. And family dynamics sometimes are worse and difficulties are ex- exacerbated within the family. I think what helps families with that is normalizing, letting them know that this is sort of expected. Families family dynamics aren't going to get better during this difficult time. They might get worse. But how do we focus on the goal, common goal? I try to help families find a common goal. And hopefully the common goal is caring for the patient and wanting what's best for mom. And if we can just focus on that and let some of the other past drama put it aside for a time. And I know as social workers, we have to have boundaries sometimes too that we can't solve 50 years of family dysfunction. Mm-hmm. We want to try to find a working, a, create a good working environment. And so we have to help the family say, you know what, that's past. Let's not talk about what your brother did to you 25 years ago. Let's focus on mom and what mom needs now. So focusing on the present Right. Not even going into all the other things that happened last week or the last 50 years. Right, which goes a little bit against what I said before of how important it is to listen and start where they are. So you still have to validate what they're saying, but then say, okay, let's. that sounds like a really old issue. Is there a way we can put it aside? I understand it's important to you. I understand, you know, that was really upsetting. How are we going to deal with today? Mm-hmm. Um, so then before you were saying that you, we have to let go of expectations sometimes, how do you let go of those expectations, especially when you see something and it's not good or not even not good, but it's not, you, you had hope for something better. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you let go of that? I think you just have to, you know, so much of what I'm saying is about the messages that we give in our heads and how we talk to ourselves, our self-talk. So I think we have to just look at our self-talk and say, this is the way that they wanted it, or this is the way they saw it happening. They couldn't see it happening any other way. I'm thinking of a patient, maybe a difficult patient, quote-unquote, instead of a difficult family, but a patient who was so angry 
about his diagnosis. He just was really kind of nasty to everyone who came in the house. We set boundaries, you know, we said you can't speak to us, you can't abuse us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're here to provide a service, we'll provide our service. You have to use kind language with us. Our visits were short and sweet. He didn't want anything to do with our medicines. And we thought, oh, well, maybe someday he'll give in and accept the medicines if his symptoms get to be too much. He never did. He was very strong-willed. And we met him where he was and kept visiting. And at the end, you know, he thanked us for our support and for being there with him. He lived alone. He didn't want his family to come. His family didn't want to come. I think he had been... Nasty to them. Yeah, uh uh-huh. You know, there was a lot of family history there. Sometimes the sons would call us yelling and screaming, Dad won't listen, Dad won't listen. And, you know, did he ever listen? You know, did he always do things his way? He always did things his way. He's going to continue to do things his way. we got to let him. And maybe it wasn't as safe as we wanted it to be. Sometimes that's a worry. I worry a lot, you know, when people are home alone. But we don't have a lot of control over it. We can suggest, we can explain we can educate but we can't you know people are going to decide to do what they're going to do because it sounds like sometimes we have to remind ourselves that even though our job is really to help people that we can't we can't always save them from their situations right right our job is always to help people but sometimes the help they want isn't the help that we were expecting to give okay that makes a lot of sense um is there anything else that you feel like would be helpful for professionals Maybe dealing with anger, or because you had mentioned that before, or anything that you think if somebody was going through this and you were walk, helping them walk through this, your job, or whether they're at a nursing home or wherever, what? I think it's just, again, it's really important to try to kind of put yourself in their shoes. And how would you feel if you were all of a sudden incapacitated and, and dependent? What I hear again and again and again is people hate being dependent. You know, we have such an independent society. Everybody wants to do for themselves and fix their problems, and problems can be fixed. And when you're faced with a situation where you have a problem that can't be fixed, it's it's pretty hard. So if we try to put themselves in our shoes and say, you know what, I'd be pretty angry too. Sometimes that helps. And also the language. Like I remember I worked in a nursing home. I worked in several nursing homes before working here in hospice. And we would say patients refused whatever it was. They refused PT. They refused lunch. And then I came here, and we don't say refuse, we say declined. And I think just that little twist shows they, they have a right to say they don't want that. So not, in, when you say refuse, it almost implies they're being difficult and not understanding. Right, and I think situation. saying declined says a little bit more like, okay, they have a right to say yes or no, and they said no. And leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. Once you once we started talking about that, I was like, that's probably exactly why doctors don't. I mean, I won't even. Um, but that's probably why doctors don't even want to have that conversation <laughs> because it's so hard. Yeah, it's hard to get bad news, and it's hard to say, you know, what we thought would work didn't work. It's like you're the Plan B. Right. They wanted Plan A, and we are Plan B. Right. Absolutely. We are absolutely Plan B. And sometimes we say that to families, too. Like, okay, that's Plan A. You know, if they're talking about wanting to get better, you know, or 
going to the hospital, pursuing treatment. That's plan A. Let's talk about, well, what if that plan doesn't work? Mm -hmm. And so maybe we're more comfortable with that conversation because we are plan B. Yeah. And doctors are used to working on plan A. That makes sense. Okay, well, thank you, Lisa, for uh, letting me interview you and pick your brain today. Um, I hope everybody learned a lot from just this interview. Well, that's it for today's podcast. A special thanks to Isabel Tom and Lisa Frank for doing this interview. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of What's Important to You. You can listen and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And while you're there, you can go ahead and leave us a review. If you have any ideas for future episodes, then you can go ahead and write to us at mhcenterforlearning at gmail.com. If you enjoy this podcast and want to listen to our previous episodes, you can do so by visiting our website at www.montgomeryhospice.org. We have a great lineup for you there. Thanks again for joining us today.